What's up, Internet? Welcome to another episode of the Braveheart Lacrosse Show. I'm your host, Greg Marzak, and uh, we're coming off an amazing weekend of college and high school lacrosse. Uh, yesterday, again, I won't go into too many details on this episode. Um, I think that there is you know, still a Michigan and Ohio State game here uh, on Sunday night. Uh, if this gets aired, you know, be sure to tune into that game. I think it's on the Big Ten Network. Um, it's going to be an incredible matchup. Obviously, a huge rivalry between those schools, and not just with uh, lacrosse, but across all the sports. So be sure to check that out. The reason it sort of has implications is how the Big Ten is shaping out. Outside of that game, you know, there was, um, you know, we're coming down to the end of conference play for colleges, and that's starting to do some interesting things. Not every league, but um, some leagues, like for example, the Ivy League. Uh, incredible matchup yesterday, Harvard and Princeton back and forth. I mean, they must have had, what, 10, 15 goals in the last, you know, 20 minutes of the game, starting at the end of the third quarter, going in through the fourth quarter, where there was just a bang-bang shootout going back and forth. And uh, there was the upset Brown, upset Cornell. But again, how do you call that an upset if Brown has continued to show their place, uh, at, at, you know, within the top four, three of the Ivy League? You know, where, where does that end? Where does that end up placing? The point of this is the chaos that's happening in some leagues. Again, not every league. For example, uh, the Ace Sun, Utah was just named uh, the the season. Uh, conference championship, regular season conference championship. They were able to hold off Bellman, who was able to put up a fight. Um, another game in the A-Sun last night, an incredible matchup and a rivalry starting to form was the uh, Detroit Mercy uh, at home against Cleveland State. It was senior night, and what a show, what a fight that uh, Detroit Mercy put up. Um, they were able to hold off, no pun intended there, and they were able to hold off Cleveland State and get their first win and honor the seniors, you know, send them out with a win uh, after that last home game. That was awesome. I don't know. There were maybe two, 300 uh, people at Seahome uh, watching that game. That was awesome to be a part of. Had some alumni, little tailgate before the game. Really cool, really cool experience. So uh, shout out to everyone who came. Uh, a lot of young kids there uh, being able to watch some some talented lacrosse in the state. Again, I'm sure that the, uh, well, we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be tough. Detroit Mercy is going to Utah for the last game. I don't think they're completely out of it if they do win uh, out at Utah, that could put them into ten- in contention uh, for making the conference bid. So anything can happen. Uh, but that was a, a really cool experience, I'm sure, for those guys who, you know, we're just fighting to get a win at the end of the season. So, uh, but we'll go more into um, the sort of bracketology of the college lacrosse season in the next episode. Um, we will also talk about. Um, my predictions and, and sort of what I think is is happening. This, this so more exciting content coming up. I'm very excited to get back into a regular schedule, putting on content. This episode, so um, 
what I'd like to tell everyone to do who's listening, you know, if you're a high school, college kid, thank you again. I appreciate it. Be sure to subscribe, comment, like, uh, share with anyone. But while you're listening to the episodes, put your headphones in, you know, go and hit the wall or go do face-offs or go, you know, work out and listen to this. Uh, you know, take this 20, 30 minutes, whatever each episode is, and use that as an opportunity to improve. Um, because ultimately that's what, you know, really is important setting yourself up for success and, and differentiating yourself from, you know, any of the guys you're competing with is the ability to go out and, uh, you know, work hard when, when no one's looking. So go hit the wall and enjoy this. Lastly, um, we will have an update on Michigan high school lacrosse. I know that there's been some, uh, really awesome games going on and, and some shakeups in the rankings. So I'll cover that in the next week's episode. And uh, we still have a few more weeks until high school, uh, here in Michigan at least, until high school playoffs start. So best of luck to everyone out there competing. Um, you know, it's an amazing time in your life. Uh, and, you know, cherish these last couple games, last couple weeks that you have with your best friends uh, because. You know, there's, there's really not that many opportunities that you're going to get that are like that left. So um, do everything you can to get ready for the season. Make sure it's a, if it's a priority for you guys or your team to make playoffs, that you're staying focused and you're, you're, you're pushing each other to commit to that goal. And also, if there are younger kids, you know, not seniors, but younger kids who are looking for opportunities to play this summer now is a great time to have a conversation with your coach you know your parents with a local club team about getting a spot and and sort of looking ahead for opportunities to play this summer of course a lot of teams have already had tryouts but that does not mean that there are not openings Um, there's a lot of great programs in the state of michigan that either you know whether you're interested in looking at staying local getting on the college recruiting circuit, or just playing with your best friends, start to think about playing in a, a um, summer and off-season club program. Of course, shameless plug, shout out to Omnia Lacrosse. They are the official sponsor of the Braveheart Lacrosse Show, and there'll be a link in the bio where you can check out Omnia Lacrosse. with some very exciting uh, tournaments and, and things coming up, so um, if you're interested, uh, I'll be coaching for them. We have some other great coaches on the staff. But, um, yeah, without further ado, let's get into the next episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Braveheart Lacrosse Show. As always, I'm your host, Greg Marzak. Um, this episode is being recorded in uh, Wrocław, Poland, after the 2022 uh, championships and uh, 2023 World Qualifier Games. Um we obviously qualified. That was an amazing experience, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to have a, a guest on today that I've gotten to know a little bit better since being here and playing uh, back in uh, 2021 in the summer here in Wrocław as well. Um, and my guest is Eric Persky. From um, he played at Penn, graduated in 2017 as, as long as, with myself. Both had the same graduation year. Uh, he was a in high school, two-time All-American, uh, and you had All-Ivy uh, honorable mention. Um, obviously, you had some great runs uh, in a, in a pretty competitive league. It, it, you know, through those years, I remember Cornell had what in 2015, right? They went on their run. Uh, yeah. They were pretty good. Um, 
but obviously you had a, a, a pretty unique high school and lacrosse experience and uh, I'd love it if you could share a little bit about that. Um, maybe we'll start off, how did you first get into lacrosse? Yeah, so I've been playing lacrosse for as long as I can remember. Um, it's actually pretty funny. I get made fun of for this all the time, but I can barely throw a ball without a stick. Yeah. My dad played lacrosse growing up. Every time we are in the backyard, picking up lacrosse sticks, tossing the ball around. So my throwing mechanics without a stick are pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Um, but I just remember being in the backyard, tossing around with him, and then as soon as youth leagues started up, um, I was playing. I was playing, and even when there wasn't stuff my age, I was playing with the guys, you know, one year, two years older than me, in small, you know, indoor stuff on the field, and, you know, not deliberately, but long-term, that probably helped me a lot in yeah. terms of getting used to playing with guys that might be bigger, faster, stronger, a little bit more experienced. Um, the biggest thing that I always always did was just fight for the ball, fight for the ground ball. Awesome. Um, so a lot of fun. And and that's what lacrosse always was to me. Mm -hmm. um, even up until high school, lacrosse was just one of three sports that I played. I also played soccer and hockey. And it was just something that I did for fun with my friends to compete, to, mm -hmm. to be an athlete. And uh, what were some of the, um, we talked a little bit about this, uh, some of the travel teams, high school teams, you went to New Canaan, right? Yeah. And uh, who were some of the teams you played for in the summer? Yeah, so I, I played for New Canaan in the summer, and then it was, uh, it was actually pretty interesting. After my freshman year, I got invited to, to Nike Blue Chip. Yeah. And that was kind of the first time that I'd ever even considered the idea of playing lacrosse at the next level. Mm -hmm. Until then, it had just been something I'd do for fun, something... Yeah. you know, I'm competing with. Uh, at that point, I started to realize that there was this whole world, this whole ecosystem beyond just local cross league, playing your rivals, playing the guys you know. Yeah. Um, and that it was something I could compete with. So I ended up, around the same time, I ended up trying out for Team, team Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, coached by a guy named Bill Rabbit, yeah. who was an unbelievable coach unbelievable guy and I started to to meet guys from across the state play for some pickup teams um, largely through him that were some prep school guys just a smattering of guys that wanted to compete and play and rabbit coach rabbit was a great guy because for him unlike a lot of the summer programs that exist now it was never about the money it was never about you know going to every tournament doing everything it was about finding guys that wanted to get better wanted to play together wanted to compete and showing up to the events that mattered and, and making sure that we were all enjoying ourselves, having a good time, um, and playing together. Um, and so you went to Blue Chip. Uh, I think we talked about hotbeds. What were some of the other events you remember going to, uh, getting recruited and stuff? The event that I remember the most was going to the Brian Shootout. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because it was so yeah. unbelievably hot on yeah. that turf. Uh, you're at UMBC, you're hiking up and down that hill, you're playing. <laughs> 100, 100 to 110 degrees. There's no AC in the dorms. No AC in the dorms. Um, and I yeah, you had that field, turf field down in the bowl. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, I do remember, that's uh, that's also where they held that Nike blue chip. And yeah. I remember everyone talking about this one guy, this stud, who was playing midfield at the time, you know, with a cool-ass name, Matt Rambo. Matt Rambo. <laughs> dominating everyone. And I just remember being like, Wow, you know this guy's a good guy, and there's a ton of good players. You know, little did I know that I, 
see him a couple times over my career, and then you know now obviously he's an absolute all star yeah. in the PLL. Yeah. Um, we'll touch on this a little bit. Who are you know as a defenseman? Uh, who are some guys that you sort of looked up to, maybe tried to shadow your game after that you you watched, um, and what were things that you picked out about you know either those players or drills that you really focused on and, and tried to better yourself at to to get to where you are where you were in college. Yeah, so so defense is a little bit interesting in that I've always been maybe a less prototypical defenseman. Mm. You know, you look at most D one rosters, guys are six one to six three, tall and lanky and rangy. I'm a little bit shorter than that, a little bit stockier than that. Both of us, that's okay. But both of us, <laughs> both of us. But, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I modeled my game after any specific player, but I worked with um, a really great trainer back home by the name of Carl Fister, who just helped me focus on building the lower body, building that strength, that explosion, mm-hmm. um, and that ability to just stay with guys that might be both big and heavy and able to drive to the net, mm-hmm. but also have the footwork to stay with guys that were quick and shifty and trying to trip you up, coming around next both ways. Yeah. And so it wasn't so much trying to model my play on a specific defenseman as it was trying to develop the skills to just lock down the great offensive players yeah. that I saw. Yeah. And I remember just seeing some, some defensemen, you know, when I was watching college across in high school and they're chasing the stick or they're, they're throwing all kinds of crazy checks. And the more you watch it, you see all these highlights that are awesome. Yeah. It's so cool when a guy pulls it off. Yeah. But if you watch the rest of the game, it's not happening that much mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you just can't rely on that. So, you know, I, I had some, some great defensive coaches um, and even some of the guys that my dad's play with, my, or my dad plays with, um, one guy in particular by the name of Timmy Scher was unbelievable defenseman back in the day. Pure fundamental. Mm-hmm. Not a takeaway artist, not a guy, but a guy, a guy who sits in the middle of the defense, communicates, yeah. talks through everything. You know, and when you play him one-on-one, he's not taking away your stick. He's not stripping it out of your hands, but you will never get a step on him. Yeah. And I remember there's stories about him, you know, showing up to Team USA tryout and just shutting guys down. Yeah. You know, slightly older, you know, probably older generation, but just stepping up. Yeah, being able to compete. And that's what you got to do is you can't expect to take the ball away. You just got to make him, make the offensive player get worse and worse opportunities, take away his spots, and eventually they'll turn the ball over. Um, Going back to something you brought up, going up against uh, some pretty intense competition in in the Ivy League and, you know, who were what were some of your standout games? I know you mentioned earlier that uh, going up to Dartmouth always being a challenge because you know it's snowy, it's cold. What were some other uh, really cool experiences that you remember from your time playing? Uh, maybe some that weren't your favorite, or you know, vice versa. Some of the f- your favorite games that you played in. So one of my favorite memories is actually a game that I didn't really play in, but when we beat Cornell in the Ivy tournament my freshman year. Mm-hmm. Watching that group of seniors led by Zach Losco mm-hmm. and Drew Belinsky. Yeah. We were, you know, having a tough season. I think we were three and three in the Ivies. In the Ivy tournament, watching those seniors put the team on their back. Zach Losco scored five goals five different ways. Yeah. Was that at Harvard? In the third and fourth quarter, yeah. It was yeah, like, yeah. Hosted at Harvard. But Cornell was probably the best team in the Ivy League at yeah. that point. And he just 
kind of seeing that will to compete that just we're not losing mentality yeah. was kind of stuck with me the, the whole way it was unbelievable to see uh, we were at we were at those games I remember because uh, BU was right across the river and so we went and watched the uh, we just uh, as a team went over and watched the Ivy League conferences and there used to be a goalie who was actually a Michigan kid from Country Day um, I forget what team he was on maybe it was Penn but it doesn't matter too much but um, yeah I remember seeing that and touched on it a little bit earlier but the uh, early Cornell you know uh, 2000. 14, 15s at that run. Yeah. Um, but that's awesome. Uh, you brought up playing at Michigan or playing against Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you, you, did you play in the big house? Yeah. Yeah. We had a really, really rough game. It was probably <laughs> the second year Michigan was a D1 program. Uh-huh. We went up there and it was freezing. <laughs> we were playing in an empty big house after a long flight and we couldn't do anything right yeah. as a team. And that was that was a very frustrating game. Um, you know, one one you wish you could take back, but you ultimately just just learn from. Um, for some of the younger guys that are listening, and you brought up this, uh, you know, things to work on as a defenseman, not only, you know, footwork and, and um, you know, being able to control your body, but the communication piece. That's one thing I would say, you know, playing with you and, and now, you know, having you as a, as a coach, that uh, is really, you know, not only of yourself, but any uh, historically talented defenseman. They're just barking out orders, you know, really commanding the defense, making sure everyone knows, like, hey, this is who I've got. This is where I have to be. If, you know, for a weird second, you get a slip or a switch on a pick, and then you just have someone, it, it makes it tremendously easier understanding, hey, this is where I need to be. Um, maybe you want to talk about where you learn to get that and how guys should practice that moving forward. Yeah, so I've always been a pretty good communicator. Um, I think just playing multiple sports, you start to see the value in it. You learn from different guys, but it probably wasn't until Penn that my communication evolved from, you know, I'm hot, where's my two, yeah. to something better than that. And one of the drills that we did is something that guys can do at home when they're watching TV but it's assuming that each guy, uh, you know, each guy ends up being responsible for understanding what every other guy on the defense has to do. Mm-hmm. And what we'd do is we'd say one guy can talk. So you'd start, you know, you typically as a freshman, you'd come in and you might not be ready to run the defense while actually playing in the defense. So you'd stand right on the side outside the box and you'd be responsible for telling every guy what to do every time the ball moves. Uh-huh. And you can do that when you're watching a game, you can do that at practice, you can do that when you're standing on the sideline. Just think about what every guy's responsibility is. And then as you progress, as you get better, it shifts from you do that on the sideline to you do that when you might be the hot guy yourself or you might be the Jason or the on-ball guy yourself. And you gotta have that mental image of where every guy on your team is and what his responsibility has to be. That's awesome. And so once you start to get that mental picture, Guys don't change positions that quickly. Yeah. Where they are on the field, and you can feel it. You can see those shifts, see those changes as you keep your head up. So once you have that first mental picture, all you have to do is keep track of the changes from there. And if you're communicating, it's kind of like a natural commentary that yeah. says, here's what's happening. Yeah. So then your communication goes from, I'm hot, who's my two, to I'm hot, hey, Greg, Greg, you yeah. gotta help me here, back you gotta help me in up. here. Yeah. Hey, hey, I'm staying, you can push back. Yeah. And you get to that next level of communication where you're basically having a conversation where everyone's trying to say, look, we want to cover up the inside, 
push to the outside um, and support each other. And every guy is taking responsibility for, you know, their man and someone else. Mm-hmm. We say the most valuable thing you could do on defense is cover more than one guy at once. Communication is how you manage that. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, I think that'll be really helpful, you know, to get uh, feedback from not only you, any other defensive guys. Uh, James Donaldson is a starter at uh, Georgetown right now, a defenseman, and he gave his take on uh, – what he thinks, you know, guys can work on, and, and going one on one with a, you know, buddy working on, you know, just defensive positioning, breakdown, you know, footwork, um, and any time we can help out younger players who who are interested in taking their game to the next level, that's really helpful. Um, so we'll transition a little bit to this experience. Um, obviously, you having been involved now with international lacrosse. Uh, what was your takeaway of, of so far this experience and maybe some things that you either thought were really cool or just hadn't been exposed to? Uh, and, yeah, your thoughts on that. You know, my experience with the Polish Lacrosse League and the Polish national team has been phenomenal, uh, largely because I've been there to see the growth and the, the way we've changed and developed. Uh, I moved out to Warsaw three years ago now. Um, got involved just to help out, to meet people when I'm living in a new country. Mm-hmm. And now to see the progress that has been made um, and the way that guys have bought in. And that's, that's really what it takes, is that you need a couple guys to just turn it on, like those seniors I mentioned yeah. in that Cornell game, to just say, we're sick of losing, we're sick of having other teams think that they're better than us and being better than us. And it can't just be talk, you know. What you have to do is you then have to show up every day and do the things that you're saying. Yeah. Um, we've, we've done a lot. We've spoken a lot with the players about that and how we can build great habits. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I did when I was little uh, or you know, in high school, starting to think about recruiting, starting to think about what I wanted to do at the next level when I realized that was possible, is I put a sign on my door that said, just handwritten, that said, what did you do to get better today? Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit cheesy, a little bit corny, yeah. but it just reminds you that each day you have to either make progress because if you're not going forward, you're mm-hmm. going backward. Yeah. You don't just stay in the same place. You don't just pick up your stick on game day yeah. and expect that all of a sudden it's going to work out. You know, We like to think that, that games are the easiest part of the process. Yeah. You work hard in practice, all of a sudden the game feels a lot easier. easier. Yeah. And I think that at this tournament, we had pre-camp, we worked hard, we scrimmaged Italy. All of a sudden, we weren't so afraid. We come out, Mm -hmm. we beat Greece, come out, beat Norway, fighting a tough battle to the Czechs. But at no point did we sit there and think, hey, on paper, people are saying these teams are better than us. You know, let's roll over and give it to them. So those kind of consistent habits that we've been building, you just fall back on them. And that's what's been allowed us to be successful and continue to, to improve and why we've gotten the results we've gotten. No, I think that uh, those are some great points, like you said, to remind yourself, and, and we talked about this, make practice harder than you know what you're going up against in a game. And you'll definitely find success there. And the, the little things that you do every day, whether it's hitting the wall for, you know, 30 minutes, just, you know, working on your footwork. If you're taking face-offs, you know, go out there and do your do your uh, chops and your drills for an extra hour each day. 
And those things add up over time because not only do you do those things outside of practice, then you have practice, workouts, conditioning, and ultimately that culminates into, you know, success on field. It's sort of inevitable. But um, uh, I think that those are some really good uh, takeaways for everyone. Um, so with uh, I won't hold you here too long. Any uh, last-minute departing notes? I know we have uh, some exciting things looking forward to. And uh, any shout-outs you want to give or anything else you want to leave the audience with? You know, one, one last thing I'd like to say is that it all matters. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an offensive player, having a competent offhand mm-hmm. is important. If you're a defenseman, it's not good enough to have great footwork to be positioning. One of probably my, my biggest and only regrets about college lacrosse is that I didn't take care of my stick skills as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. And I'd be the first to admit that there were poles that had, had better stick skills than me, and that limited me in a sense. Um, so even if you think you've got one part of your game that you're really good at, if you want to keep playing, keep excelling, you need to develop those extra skills uh, and extra abilities just to help protect yourself. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be anything flashy. It's just fundamentals, like you said. Being able to catch both hands, you know, and understanding where to be on a ride and clear, you know, making sure your footwork is, is uh, above, above average. Like, those things are incredibly important. The communication skills, too. You can have the best stick work, but if you can't play in a, you know, a team or, or be able to move the ball, um, you know, that definitely hurts. But that's a great piece. So thank you. So, you know, and that's the thing is whatever you can do to get on the field, whatever you can do to have your coach, your teammates trust you, those those are the things that matter. Yeah. So in terms of shout-outs, you know, <laughs> the only shout-outs I have have to be my parents. Yeah. Um, I've had so many coaches, so many teammates that have supported me throughout the years, but my parents have been through all of it. Yeah. Whether driving up and down I-95, taking me to tournaments, taking me to games. They've been there just supporting the crap out of me every step out of the way. And just to give one one little anecdote, I remember I was at one camp, I think it was the Maverick Showcase, and my parents only told me this after the fact, but I had the absolute worst, worst showing in a game that I've ever Okay. I could not make a slide, I could not make a pass, I could not pick up a ground ball. And apparently, as the story goes, my mom turned to my dad and was like, so he really thinks he can play college lacrosse? Now, I came off that field absolutely dejected, spoke with my parents. You know, they were nothing but encouraging, despite, you know, despite my mom having some doubts. Yeah, yeah. Supportive, you know, next session, played a little better. Next session, played a little better. By the last day, they put out the results for the All-Star game, make the All-Star game have one of the best games in my career and, you know, ultimately end up at Penn, not necessarily just because of that camp, but, you know, if I had sat there and my parents were like, you know what, this is over, <laughs> he, he just can't compete, you know, so their their support, them having my back no, that's great. has been just honestly so, so much easier in terms of helping me manage all the, the stress and the pressure and just have something that you can always rely on. It, it means the world to me. Yeah, um, thanks to my parents, shout out to them as well. But I think when you're young, you don't realize the, not only cost, but the investment of time and resources to go to travel, go to the tournaments, put you in these events. And then you realize when you get older, you're like, wow, this is a like crazy amount of 
affection that someone has to put for you uh, to support you to do that. And so any, anybody listening, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, tell your parents you love them. Uh, it is uh, obviously a sacrifice for you to do these things. And of course, I'm sure your parents would say that they were just you know, supporting you. But that, uh, being appreciative and, and making sure that you, they know that is, is a huge piece as well. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all the tournaments, driving all over, you know, going to upstate New York, going... My parents are out here. Yeah, they yeah, they're 16 hours to come out, be in Poland with me, you yeah. know, experience and Same here, my parents it. came, which is amazing, to, you know, to get to uh, share this experience with them. And, of course, I'm sure they're, you know, they're just as happy to do it. But uh, that, that means a lot to them. If, you, if anyone who, you know, should take a second and think about that, that... Uh, you know, tell your parents you love them. It's a big sacrifice. And I wouldn't be where I am now, just like you said, you wouldn't be where you are without them. So awesome. I think that's a great place to end on. So awesome. thank you, man. That's thank awesome. You. I'll put the links out and uh, go pen. I think they're doing, you know, obviously the Ivy League this year is crazy uh, competitive, but uh, it'll be exciting here how it shakes out at the end. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, man. This episode is brought to you by the official sponsor of the Braveheart Lacrosse Show. Omnia Lacrosse. Whether you're in Grand Rapids, Hazlitt, Metro Detroit, Traverse City, Alma, Omnia Lacrosse is the premier club lacrosse program in the state of Michigan. I wouldn't say this if I didn't believe it. That's why I coach for them. They are the top lacrosse program in the state of Michigan for club lacrosse. So whether you're looking to just get started an entry-level playing, or you want to take your game to the next level and go on the recruiting tournaments, Omnia Lacrosse is the club program for you. Check out their website at omnialacrosse.com or use the link on on my website, Braveheart Lacrosse Show, uh, to find out what opportunities are available.